Central Wesleyan Church. Man, it's good to be home. Um, seven years ago, uh, God had Brenda and our four kids in a little bit of a, a space of limbo. We didn't know what he was calling us to next at the time. It was a pretty hard space to be in, to be honest. Um, and that's when this church wrapped its arms around us and welcomed us into this place. Made us feel like this was, uh, this was family and home. And then uh, a year and a half later, y'all kicked us out. So I don't know what to do with that. Still working through it a little bit. But no, honestly, you guys, uh, you guys, and Pastor West talked about this last week actually. Because of your generosity, because of your investment, um, there's lives that are being changed all over the globe. And uh, the church that I have the privilege of leading and pastoring uh, in Grand Rapids exists because you guys took a risk. And you said you're willing to invest your hearts, your lives, and your money. Quite honestly, you want to know what somebody thinks about Jesus? Check their checkbook and check their calendar. And you guys showed up and showed off. And Jesus has been taking that investment that you made and he's been growing it. Uh, last week, Wes got to share with you, 1,500 people came to captivate on Easter. You just heard the amazing, I remember when Captivate was just starting off with a couple hundred folks. I remember five years ago when we launched TLC and we were bringing Asandi into the network at that time as well, into the family. And they had like 150, 200 people. He's talking about 600 people that came. This past Easter we celebrated five years as a church. We had 800 people in person, another couple hundred online. Friends, that's because of your generosity. And there are people that I could point you to right now that their lives have been radically transformed. And I'm talking like crazy cool stuff. People that were estranged from God, hated him, did not want anything to do with him. And now are just flat out in love with him, helping lead worship at our church. People that just found Jesus in the last couple of months. So friends, thank you. Thank you. Um, Y'all had Pastor West last week. Dude's uh, an anointed communicator. Y'all got Pastor Corey next week. Another very anointed communicator. So when they come, y'all should have expectations like here. This week, though, y'all got me. So we're going to lower those just a little bit. But here's the, real, here's the deal, though. Um, I don't ever want you showing up in this building excited or upset about who's going to open up God's word because it's never about us anyway. It's about the spirit of God who wants to work through the servant of God and the word of God to speak to our hearts. So this morning, I hope you're not here about anything that I'm going to say or to hear words that Torrin's going to say. I hope you're here because you want to see what the spirit of God would like to say to you. So if you're cool with that, I'm just going to pray. Uh, I heard recently uh, from a pastor in New York City said, God comes where he's wanted. And this morning, 
Let's want him. Father, we, we know that you are omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. You're here right now in this space. Jesus, you promised that when your body gathered together, you as the head of your body would be uniquely present. Holy Spirit, you indwell us. And so we recognize that you're here, but we don't simply want to recognize, we want to invite you into this space. We want to give you permission to speak into our hearts and our minds. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear. We welcome you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I grew up in Flint, Michigan, other side of the state. Uh, lived in Chicago when I was a kid through third grade. And then uh, just before fourth grade, my parents moved to Flint. Uh, that was uh, 83. 1983 uh, was not a great year for Flint, and it kept getting worse and worse as we were there. In fact, by the time I got into middle school, it was our second consecutive year uh, being the murder capital of the United States. Uh, I think we were in year one of Money Magazine rating us as the worst place in America to live. We would go on to be repeat champions the following year as well. Made it three out of four by the time I was in high school. I used to always tell people Flint's a great place to be from. While I was there, it's my hometown. It's what I knew, what I loved. And I can remember my first day at Flint Longfellow Middle School, I'm walking down the hall, not my first day, I think it was the third day, first week though, and I've got my trapper keeper under my arm, y'all remember those bad boys? Yeah, I wanted the one that was a Lamborghini, I didn't have that, it was like a horse, like not cool, but I'm walking down the hall and I see these two dudes and they're huge, and I'm like, don't make eye contact, don't make eye contact, I look up and they're standing right in front of me, I kid you not, one of them grabs me by my shoulders, picks me up, and sticks me against the locker. I'm still holding my trapper keeper, trying not to pee my pants. They start laughing. They set me down. I said to myself, all right, T, you got to get tough. You got to get hard. Like, what you going to do about that? So I was like, I'm going to go out for the football team. Great idea for guys my size, right? So uh, they had, thankfully, three different weight divisions. You had the uh, unlimited division, which was like 150 pounds plus. Then you had the middleweight position, which was like 125 to 150. And then you had the juniors, which is 125 pounds and under. Man, I was barely breaking triple digits on a scale, okay? So I wasn't even close to being at the max for the juniors. And so the, uh, they always gave us the pads last when we went to the equipment room. So I show up in there, and they're trying to get pads on me, and nothing fits. I mean, like, shoulder pads, like, falling off a shoulder. My helmet, that was the bad one. The helmet was so big that when I strapped that thing on, I would run. And you know how there's, like, two bars that kind of run around the face, kind of protect your face? Those bars are doing this. Broom, 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 broom. Anytime I'm running. So, like, my vision's always blurry. Like, I can kind of see what's happening, but not really. And they put me on the kickoff team. It was the first week of practice. I'm trying to, like, impress coaches, right? Because I'm like, man, I'm in for this. Now, I wasn't. I wasn't big, but I was pretty quick. So I got a buddy. He's going to be the kickoff guy. And for a seventh grader, dude had a leg. Like he could actually put the ball in the air. And so uh, it's like uh, first day where we're practicing kickoffs. And I'm there on the line next to him. And he goes and he gives a signal and I take off. He runs up. He kicks the ball. Ball goes like shockingly like really high in the air. Doesn't go super far, but it goes high. And I can see it the whole time. And I'm just... Flying, bang, 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 bang. And, and, and I see that the ball's coming down to one of my teammates on the other side, playing for the other team right now, and, and, and he's about to catch it, and I'm like 
right at him. And I'm thinking to myself, I got all these visions in my head like, oh, this is my moment. This is my moment. Like, I'm going to hit this dude so hard. I'm going to stack him. Coach is going to be excited. I'm going to hit him so hard. Like, his mom's probably going to feel it at home. Like, that's what I'm thinking in my head the whole time. And I'm just flying. Boom. Yes. And I see. And he catches the ball. And I'm on a full sprint. I can't be more than like 10, 12 feet from this kid. And he freezes. I see the fear in his eyes. Right? He just doesn't know what to do. Doesn't know whether to go right or left. And I'm go to jump and just, boom, take him out. And right as I go to jump, I finally realize the reason he hasn't moved is because there's a blocker right in front of him. And so as soon as I go to dive, the blocker leaps out with his pads, hits me right at the knees. No kidding, no joke. All I see is two bars and the world go, woo! Did a full flip in the air, no, landed back on my feet, and then fell on my butt. And he ran past me and I didn't touch him. The coaches started giving me the nickname Flip. Not the kind of nickname you want when you're trying out for football. They thought it was hilarious. Me, not so much. That blocker was crouching. He decided to take me out. And because I wasn't paying attention, he did. If you have your Bibles, I'd love you to open up to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. We're going to talk about sin this morning. If you ever go to a church that you are not the regular pastor at, uh, let me give you a word of advice. Uh, don't talk about sin. But today God said, hey, I want you to tell my people uh, a story that I think is uh, important for them. Now, um, if you're new to Central, if you're just checking faith out, if you're not even yet a follower of Jesus or you're brand new in your faith, let me just say welcome. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. And it's not an accident that you're here this morning. If you have been going to church your entire life, I'm so glad that you're here this morning as well. And it's not an accident that you're here either. If you are young, I think that there's something that God wants to say to you in your 20s. If you are in your 90s, I think that there's something that God wants to say to you as well. So would we just give God permission to say, all right, Lord, I'm here. If you're real, if you're who you say you are, I give you permission to speak. Genesis chapter 4, starting at verse 1, says, Adam made love to his wife Eve. Well, we're starting off strong. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, or Yahweh. Anytime you see, just a little note, anytime you see the word Lord and it's in all caps in the Old Testament, that's the proper name for God, Yahweh. So, with the help of Yahweh, I have brought forth a man, she says. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. So we learn a couple things about the first offspring of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve consummate the marriage. She gets pregnant, has Cain first. Cain's the oldest son, gets pregnant again, has Abel. And the text tells us that they have two different jobs. Both are important vocations as the world is growing. And God had actually said to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 2 that he wanted them to uh, fill the earth and subdue it what theologians call the cultural mandate. He's like, hey, I put a bunch of awesome stuff in this earth for you to discover 
and build culture with. So let's go do something together. And that's exactly what Cain and Abel both do. Uh, Cain is a farmer, gardener. He works the soil, brings forth fruit, vegetables. And, and Abel, he, he's a herdsman, a shepherd. He's got flocks that he oversees. Both important, both needed and necessary, just two different vocations. Let's keep reading. Verse 3, it says, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to Yahweh, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Yahweh looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Uh, I heard this story a lot growing up. I grew up going to church, had the little flannel graph, Cain and Abel, and put them up on there, you know, Sunday school class. And, and I remember for years, I always just kind of thought, man, I know why God didn't accept his offering. Cain should have traded some fruit with his brother and got himself a sheep. And then he could have like brought like a, an animal and he could have offered that as an offering. It, like God wanted a, a blood offering. That's what I always kind of assumed until I actually did a little bit of study and research and found out, no, no, that wasn't the issue at all. Throughout the Old Testament, bringing God an offering of grain or of fruit was a very acceptable offering. It wasn't a problem with the type of offering that Cain brought. It wasn't that Abel brought the good one and Cain didn't bring the good one. It's because of Cain's heart. Now, now we don't know exactly what was going on in his heart. It wasn't the type of offering he bought, brought, it was the way or heart with which he brought it. And Cain knew it. Now that's what's interesting here. We're going to read in just a second that Cain understood that he wasn't bringing it with the right heart. Abel brought an offering and he did it with the right heart. We don't know what was going on in Cain's heart. In fact, the text doesn't actually tell us. The text isn't interested in telling us that. Could have been envy, could have been jealousy, could have been hatred. All we know is that God couldn't accept the offering, and that made Cain frustrated. In fact, whatever was kind of going on in his heart began to bubble over into his body, into his actions. Because that's how it always works, right? Nothing ever stays secret and hidden. You can't stuff it too far. It always shows up. So uh, he's angry and his face is downcast, is what the text says. Grumbling. No. What's going on? I knew. God, why didn't he... Let's keep reading. Verse 6. Then Yahweh said to Cain. This is pretty interesting. God actually comes and speaks to Cain. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it couple things here. God knows that Cain knows why he can't accept that offering. He's like, look, man, if you do what's right, of course I will accept this offering. But if you don't do what's right, which means Cain knew, then look, Cain, like sin's crouching at your door. It's trying to destroy you, man, devour you, eat you up. God loved Cain enough, was generous enough to come and say, hey, you know what's going on. You know it's, it's there and you see it, you feel it, it's coming out of you. 
get a handle on it. You're going to have to fight it. It's trying to rule you. You need to rule it. God comes and warns him because of his great love. Not only that, but also it shows that the potential for defeating this, for fighting it, for not allowing it to destroy you was there for Cain as well. Um, I had the privilege, my, my, my sister uh, was a missionary in South Africa for a number of years. I had the privilege of visiting her a couple different times. And one of the times that we were there, we went to Kruger National Park, one of the largest uh, game parks in all of Africa, and did a little safari. Um, there's a video, it's not my video, but it's a stinking awesome video called The Battle at Kruger. All right, you can look it up. It's got like 90 million views. Don't look it up right now, all right. But look it up later. And uh, it's some Americans, you can tell by their accent, that are in a safari truck and they've got a South African guy. And they're at this watering hole at Kruger National Park because there are some lions there. Now, if you've ever been on a safari in Africa, uh, you know seeing lions is actually pretty rare. Like most folks that go on a safari will not see lions. But here they are, and they're at this watering hole, and there's like six lions, and they're just kind of chilling in the grass, like just lazily hanging out there. And so that's why folks are there, because they're videotaping these lions. Well, as he's videotaping the lions, he pans the camera across the watering hole from over here to over on this side. And over on this side, there's this big group of buffalo that are kind of just trotting along. And one of the guys says, as he's filming, he says... This could be very interesting. He pans back to the lions. And the lions have started to notice it. And so they're, they're kind of like just kind of straightening up a little bit as they're still laying on the ground. Well, then he pans back over and uh, the herd of buffalo is kind of back here. But there's three buffalo that have kind of gotten way out ahead of the herd. There's this big male, a female, and a little calf. A small little calf. And they're just kind of trumping along, not really paying attention. And all of a sudden... He pans back over, and the lions are down now in full crouch mode. You ever seen a lion, like, get into full crouch mode? You know what I'm talking about? Like, you can start seeing the muscles on their shoulders begin to just kind of, like, start rippling with anticipation. And this big old male, he rumbles up, and he gets about 25 feet away. And all of a sudden, he realizes he hasn't seen them yet. They don't have great eyesight, but he knows he's something. He can sense something. And he smells up in the air. He kind of... Claws at the ground, and then he sees the lions, and he takes off running. And the mama, she starts running too, and the little baby turns around and goes, starts running. But, oh, man, the baby's like just not as fast. The other parents took off, and the lions are like in full. They go from like to this. And you can just hear the ladies that are in there, oh, no, they're going to get the baby. They're going to get the baby. And the South African guy's like, oh, I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen anything. This is amazing. This is amazing. Is that a good South African accent? Probably not, but I'm going with it. So they're flying, boom, boom. And then it's like slow motion. It's not slow motion, but it feels like slow motion because that's how you see it in your head, right? The lion jumps. Like claws come out. Get the back of this baby water buffalo. And they knock it because there's a little slope that goes down to the watering hole. They kind of knock it. Tumble down into the water. Four more lions jump on. There's four lions on this baby calf. It's half in the water, half out. You can hear the ladies, oh, I can't believe this is, oh my goodness, they got the baby, they got the baby. This is amazing. 
whoa, I've never seen anything wrong with this. And then all of a sudden, now I sound like I'm from Australia. I'm sorry. Any South Africans, I'm totally offending you. My, my bad. The lions have this baby. And now it's down in the water. And all the rest of the buffalo have started to run away. And the baby's going, like, it's done. It's too late. The lions, they start to pull it up out of the water onto the bank. And then out of nowhere, two crocodiles, I'm not even making this up, come flying in and boom, slam down in the back of the water buffalo. Now we've got a tug of war with a baby water buffalo. Lions on one side, two crocodiles. The lions are pulling the guys like, whoa, there's crocodiles here. And they're pulling it out. And finally, they pull it out. The lions win. Crocodiles rush back in. And the guide says, the lions have won. The lions have won. Which I know is a really rare thing for you to hear on a Sunday. So <laughs> I just want to give you a moment to hear that in church. <laughs> the lions have won. The lions were crouching. The word in Hebrew, when it says, when, when God comes and speaks to Cain, he says, sin is crouching at your door. The Hebrew word has this idea of a, of a lion or a demon that's like waiting, lurking, ready to pounce. And God says to Cain, look, man, you, would you do what's right? I want to be in relationship with you. If you do what's right, I wanna, I'm going to accept you, Cain. But if you don't, look, man, this thing's going to destroy you. And God in his love gives Cain a warning. It's not just going to destroy Cain, it's going to destroy his family. In the very next verse, Cain, instead of listening to God's warning, it says that he, he called his brother out into a field and he struck him down and murdered him. The very first murder recorded in human history, right here. God wanted Cain to do something about the sin that was trying to devour him. Because God knows what sin does. Uh, Jesus said something similar in, in Matthew chapter 5. You're welcome to flip over there. It'll be up on the screen as well. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus speaking on the Sermon on the Mount says this. He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Jesus is not playing around. Now, Jesus is speaking in hyperbole. He does not want you to literally get, if you're at home watching right now and you got like close access to a spoon, don't go gouging out your eye, all right? We ain't cutting off any hands. Jesus is speaking in hyperbole. He's over speaking. And the point that he's making is that, look, man, sin destroys things. So let's not play around with it. Let's take it seriously. Let's do what we need to do. It's crouching at the door of our lives trying to destroy us, trying to master us, trying to rule over us. Who's going to win? What are you going to do about it? Are you willing to fight? Now, we have something that Cain didn't have. Uh, we live in uh, what we call, theologians call the church age. Jesus has died and rose again. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on all who believe in him. We are indwelt with the Spirit, those of us who are followers of Jesus. 
And Jesus actually says something about that. Uh, well, actually the Apostle Paul did in Romans chapter 6. I'm going to flip over there right now. Romans chapter 6, we read these words. He says in verse 17 and 18 of chapter 6, he says, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness. Um, I worked at a camp uh, when I was in college up in Traverse City called Lake Ann Camp. And at Lake Ann, we had this uh, kind of dock that you could swim to that was out in some deeper water. And it had a low dive and a high dive. And both of them were springboards, okay? Uh, you could get some serious height off of either one of them. And I, and I remember uh, I was out there. It was like our first Saturday after campers had gone home. And we were just playing around in the water. Now, I like to dive. I like to, like, try tricks, do flips, things like that. Uh, but I had a buddy. His name was Matt. Matt Gaffner, he was a... Uh, a cheerleader, he could do like flips and like tumbling stuff. And so he was like better at that stuff than I was. And so I remember one day we're, we're out there on the, on the Saturday afternoon and he goes and he does what's called a gainer. You know what a gainer is? A gainer is this uh, dive that you do where you, you run, you jump, and instead of flipping forward, you actually jump out and flip backwards. So you're like, momentum's coming this way, but you're flipping backwards, all right? So I remember Matt's hanging out there, and Matt goes, and he's like, guys, watch this. And he jumps, boom, does this gainer, flips backwards, goes in the water, and all the ladies were like, ooh, wow, Matt, that was awesome. And I was like, yo, I got to figure out how to do a gainer. <laughs> like, you know, the ladies are into that, man. So I'm like talking to Matt. I'm like, dude, what did you, like, how did you do that? And he's like, oh, you know, just, just jump and then throw your knees up. Okay, so I'm not super dumb, just a little dumb. So I put on a life jacket, strap that bad boy on. I remember he's like, all right, when you jump, let your momentum carry you out, but then throw your knees up. And so I went, jumped, boom, got some serious height, threw my legs out, threw my knees up, got like halfway, was like, ah, boom, smack right into the water. Oh, but I was like, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, got back up. Boom, second time, throw the knees up, got a little farther, ah, boom, right back into the water. Third time, a little farther, fourth time, I went, jumped, threw the knees up, flipped all the way back, went in the water with my feet. Come up out of the water, yes, not a single girl was looking, but I did the gainer. I've got sin like that in my life. The first time I try to master it, fight against it, it doesn't go great. But I keep at it second time, third time, pretty quickly on. Like, it's just not that big of a deal for me. When I was, when I was growing up in Flint, man, I, my mouth was just filthy. Swore all the time. When Jesus captured my heart, halfway through my sophomore year, Flint Northern High School, I wanted to follow Jesus. And so I knew the way that I talked about people, the language that I used, it probably needed to change. And like swearing was like water for me, like breathing, like just came out for no reason. There were adjectives that didn't even make sense. And within about a week, I just said, God, I think you probably don't want me to 
talk like that. And it's not really been a struggle for me. When I hit my thumb with a hammer, that's not one of the words that just pops out. It's a gainer sin for me. And you probably have sins like that too. Things that you knew was like, man, that's probably not what God wants in my life. And, uh, and so you're like, God, with your spirit, would you help me fight against this? And you have. And it's just not that big of a deal anymore for you. You really don't even have to think about it. Um, Matt and I also used to like to do dives off the high dive. And so uh, one day, uh, further down in the summer, I, I went to Matt. I was like, yo, man, we both can do like a, a gainer off the high dive now. We, we both can do a, a, a back dive, a back flip. We could even do a one and a half off the high dive. Matt, I bet we could do a two and a half if we tried. So Matt was like, ah, yeah, you might be right. You might, yeah, I think we probably could. And I was like, all right, man, uh, I'll try it if you will. And he's like, bet. And I was like, you go first. <laughs> and he was dumb enough to say yes. So Matt gets up and everybody uh, is there, all the other counselors. He puts on a life jacket this time. And he goes up and he runs out onto that diving board. And I'm saying this thing's probably about 10 foot off the water, okay. Plus it's a springboard, like a long springboard. So you get another like three to five feet. So you can be as high as like almost 15 feet off the face of the water. And he runs, jumps, gets a huge jump, tucks tight, rotates once, rotates twice. And as he's starting to come down, he realizes he has not rotated enough for the last half to dive in. So Matt, instead of smacking his face first, he turns his head to the side and hits on the side of his, it sounded bad. He came up out of the water screaming, ah! We found out later that night he had blown his eardrum out. He had about two weeks where he couldn't hear anything out of his left side before it started to come back. I had just seen Matt do this, but here's what my idiot self is thinking. Yo, I can do a one and a half a little bit better than Matt can do a one and a half. So I, he almost got the two and a half. I bet I can do it. And I promised him I would try. So tighten that thing up, go out on the high dive, jump. Super high, tucking tight. I'm spinning faster than I've ever spun in my life. One time, two times. And I'm like, all right, perfect. Got to start to open up for the dive. I start to open up and I realize I've opened up too soon. And now, instead of like diving into the water here, I'm looking at it like this. And I was not dumb enough, to, or I mean smart enough, to turn my head. So I hit face on with the water. And I'm talking like the force of 15 feet in the air, gravity, along with spinning. I don't know how fast I was going, but when I hit the water, it didn't even part. It just laughed at me for a second. Then it finally let me in, and I came up out of the water, and I kid you not, I'm like bobbing with my life preserver, and if you've ever seen like an old tube TV, when you turn it off, it goes, I had like this tiny little line of consciousness left, and finally like I started to come back too, and I doggy paddled back over, next day I woke up, and it looked like I had some crazy rash on my face, because I had broken blood vessels over the entire thing. I've got sin in my life like the two and a half. And I'm guessing you probably do too. It's not like the gainer. You work at it a little bit. You just kind of you deal with it. It goes away. No, there are some things 
in my life that I've been fighting since I was young. And, and when I try to battle against them, sometimes it feels like they just kick my butt. And they frustrate me. And yet I know that they are sin that's robbing me of the life that Jesus died for. Jesus wants me to experience. Jesus wants me to fight sin because sin always leads to death. It's always robbing things from me. And Jesus has given me a way to battle it. Not that I'm going to be perfect, not that you're going to be perfect. I don't even think that that's really what Jesus is most interested in. Jesus wants us to be men and women who are willing to stay with him in the battle and keep fighting. Um, I'm not worried about people who are fighting sin, even those that are getting their tails kicked. What I'm worried about is those that have decided that fighting is too difficult and have just stopped and just said, God, you know what? Um, this is just who I am, and uh, you're just going to have to live with it. And God's like, no, I don't want to. I want to walk with you. I want to fight with you. I want to help you see that I'm in this with you. It's going to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what sin, that's what the evil one does. So the lions have won. Off camera, you hear one of the ladies say, oh, look, the herd's coming. He pans over, and here comes the herd of buffalo. They have regrouped and found some courage, and them fools is rolling deep, like 200 of them deep. And at first, at first the guide says, oh, they're too late. They're too late. But then they start to surround the lions, and the lions, there's six of them, Four of them on the little baby buffalo who's down on the ground right now. And the lions start to snarl and the buffalo surround them. They, the lions have their back to the water and then the buffalo are surrounding them. And you see them edging in closer and closer. Like, Yo, what's up, dog? What's up? <laughs> One of them, big old buffalo, huge horns, runs in and goes, whoom grabs one of the lion with his horns, throws that thing up in the air about four or five feet. That chick's like, yo, I'm out of here. Woo! She takes off. Another lion peels off. Now all of a sudden the buffalo are even feeling like bolder. They're starting to come in, snorting, pawing at the ground. Another one comes in, another lion. And then all of a sudden you see the buffalo gets up to its feet, the little baby. And somebody's like, it's still alive, it's still alive. And, and then another buffalo runs in and knocks off another lion. The little baby walks into the herd, the safety of the herd. They surround it. And now the lion's got nothing to even fight for. Now they're just trying to save their butts. And the herd's coming in like, yo, what's up? And the lion's running and scattering away. And the, 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 the guy's like, I've never seen anything like this. This is amazing. They saved the little baby. See, the, the church is supposed to be the herd. And the herd never gives up on its own. Look, sin lives in darkness, right? Sin grows in isolation. It thrives when it's hidden. But when we bring sin into the light, 
it begins to lose its power. When folks who feel like they are stuck in sin have people come around them and be willing to fight with them and fight for them, we begin to see that the power of the church can rescue. It's actually why scriptures say a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We're supposed to confess our sins one to another, James chapter 5. We're supposed to bear each other's burdens and help restore those caught in sin, Galatians 6. We're supposed to do this together. That's what the church does. That's why we need one another. That's why what happens here on a Sunday morning is so unbelievably important. The church is the herd and the herd never gives up on its own. And y'all have seen this at Central. You have something that I envy. Celebrate recovery. Man, I can't wait for our church to have that. Folks who come around and say, you know what, man, we're in this with you. We're in this with you. We're not giving up. So what I'd like to simply close with is just three places that if you want to start fighting, these are three really good places to start. Number one, it's so simple. It sounds almost ridiculous to say it out loud. But go to church. You're like, yeah, dog, I'm here. Like, that's, I'm already, good. I know I'm probably preaching to the choir. And I'm not trying to guilt anybody that's watching online right now. All I'm saying is that there's something powerful that happens when we gather together with the family of God to praise God, to confess our sin, even when we don't feel like it, to at least hear other people singing praises to God, to sit under the word. Jesus said that when his body gathers together, that he as the head of his body is uniquely present. He's uniquely powerful in this space. You ever seen a bonfire? What happens if you take one of the sticks and you put it off on the side? What? Goes out, doesn't it? What happens if you take that same stick and you put it back in the fire? Friends, we need the church. And I get it. Look, we just went through a Michigan winter. Oh, my goodness. I've lived in Michigan so long since I was in fourth grade. Why? Why do we do this to ourselves everywhere? You know why? Because spring. Because summer, there's not a better place to live in the entire world than West Michigan right about now. All right? But don't use that as an excuse for what you're going to do on Sunday morning. Now look, I get you're going to go on vacation sometime. Me too. I'm going to miss a Sunday here or there. But Sunday morning should be the thing that we schedule the rest of our week around. We need this. The second thing is, besides getting to church, is you need to get yourself a training partner and a coach. All right, I'm going to get a little vulnerable with you guys. Um, This past week we had the Water's Edge Network Pastors Conference. One of my favorite weeks of the year. I get to come here to Holland. Uh, We've got early mornings. Man, they had us up at 6 a.m. 6 a.m.? I'm more likely to stay up to 6 a.m. than I am to get up at 6 a.m. We were up late most of the nights. Most nights I didn't get to bed till after midnight hanging out, talking with some of the guys, and it's, it's fantastic. But we could put up in a hotel because of that. And that's a place of temptation for me. One of my two and a halfs is pornography. I got to fight against that since I was young till the day I die. And I was a little nervous, to be honest, about last week. I knew God had asked me to teach on fighting sin. 
And I'm like, God, I'm going to come and there's going to be space for temptation. And God, what's going to happen? And you know what God reminded me of? He said, yeah, and that's why I gave you a training partner. You know who my training partner is? His name is Philip Bustrom. He's 78 years old. 30 years older than me. For the last 21 years, he and I have met almost weekly, if at least every other week. And he has loved on me and spoken truth into my life. He's my accountability partner. He's the person that I confess my sin to. He has been Jesus in flesh for me so many times. So I called him and I was like, hey, Phil, I'm preaching on fighting sin. And man, I'm going to be at this conference. I'm going to be uh, alone in my hotel room. And would you just like check in with me every day? And would you pray for me as well? Because I really want to battle this well. And that's what Phil did. And uh, he said to me, because he's my training partner, okay, well, so what's your plan? Not just like, okay, well, I hope, you, hope it's all right. What's your plan? And I said, you know, one of the things that I'm going to work on, I gave him a couple things, but so one of the things I really want to work on practicing the presence of, of Christ. Just recognizing that he's with me in all those places, having conversations with him, especially when I'm alone. If you ever listen in on me and by myself, you think I'm crazy because I'm always talking to somebody. And he did that. Everybody needs a training partner. Somebody that you can be spiritually, emotionally naked with, that you can tell what you're really like, that loves you and accepts you, will tell you the hard things, but also offers that grace the same way that Jesus does. The other thing you need is you need a coach as well. Have you ever seen an elite athlete without a coach? <laughs> nope. And you won't see an elite Christian without one either. Phil's also a coach for me as well. But I also have other coaches in my life. Christian counselors that have walked with me over a number of years, different things, different times, different people. Uh, my wife and I see a marriage counselor. Why? Because we don't want to just have an okay marriage. We want to have a great marriage. So I need a marriage coach. I wish they would call them coaches instead of counselors. It might be a lot easier for some of us dudes that are afraid to talk to a counselor. Get to church, get yourself a training partner and a coach. And then the last thing, and it's probably the most important thing, Get to know what Jesus is really like. And I get it. If this is your first time showing up to church in a while, you're probably like, dang, this is the week I came? They're talking about homeboys, talking about sin. <laughs> a very light. No. When we talk about this, if you think God is out to get you, if you think God is angry with you, if you think Jesus is so disappointed in who you are and what you've done, then you don't know Jesus yet. And the most important thing you could ever do is get to know what Jesus is really like, friends. Jesus tells us what his heart is like in Matthew chapter 11. It's actually the only time Jesus tells us what his heart is like. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am, listen, gentle and lowly, Jesus tells us what his heart is like. He's gentle. He's lowly. Doesn't matter where you are, how deep you feel like you're in the pit, Jesus is down there with you. He says, you will find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, Dane Ortland wrote a book called Gentle and Lowly. Oh my goodness, I could not recommend this book to anybody here more than 
than this, but I want to share just one little quote. He says this about that passage. He says, uh, Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. It actually brings rest. He says that is, his yoke is a non-yoke and his burden is a non-burden. What helium does to a balloon, Jesus' yoke does to his followers. We are buoyed along in life by his endless gentleness and supremely accessible lowliness. And then this quote's going to be up on the screen. He doesn't simply meet us at our place of need. He lives in our place of need. He never tires of sweeping us into his tender embrace. It is his very heart. It's what gets him out of bed in the morning. Whereas the Puritan writer Thomas Goodwin once said, Christ is love covered over in flesh. Do you know what Jesus' favorite thing to do is? His favorite thing to do is to forgive you. That's his favorite thing. It's like a, it's like a dad watching their child struggle to catch air. It's what sin does. And if that child looked at his dad and said, help, do you not think, oh my goodness, what I wouldn't do. I'll give you the, I'll give you the air out of my own lungs, son. <sighs> Daughter, you are loved more than you could ever imagine. Jesus is here with us now in this place to help us be people who will continually fight against that which robs us of life. Jesus came that we might have life and life to the full. Would we, as a church, fight alongside Jesus for that? Father God, let that be true. Let those not just be words. Jesus, let me keep fighting. I want to master that sin. God, even the tough stuff. Jesus, let us know you and your love and your kindness more and more and more. Let us not take your grace and mercy for granted. Let us not be afraid that it will run out. You are not a God of scarcity. You are a God of abundance, eternal abundance. And so we continue to fight. We don't give up because we know that we find life in that space. Make it true, dear Jesus.